Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Four Corners Podcast on the Pit Podcast Network. My name is Shad. I'm here with Matt and Brad tonight. Today is August 6, 2018. Uh, Before we get into the content, though, we do have to do something first. We have to do something just so important. Isn't that right, Matt? That's right. We have to give a shout out to the man, the myth, the legend, Epico Cologne. Um, I wish Epico and Primo were back because they could save us from this uh, WWE SmackDown tag team tournament situation. Um, I'm I don't know if I'm really excited for New Day or whoever it is versus Bludgeon Brothers again, but I like the Bludgeon Brothers, but I'd sure like to see him take on someone new like Primo and Epico. You know. Yeah. You know, I I really like the New Day, but they really need some something different. You, you do the same song and dance for a while, and no matter how good it is, it's going to get a little old. It's not even the song and dance. Like the song and dance would be fine if um they were doing something. Like if one of them had a singles title or they were further up the card or something. Yeah, that well, I mean, that would be different. But anyway, so I remarked on the date, uh, August 6, 2018, for a reason. Um, recently, on July 29, 2018, the wrestling world lost three, uh, I'd say notable is probably a fair term, three notable personalities. Uh, on that day, we lost Brickhouse Brown, Nikolai Volkov, and Brian Christopher Lawler. So we thought that it would be only fitting for us to, um, you know, go back and talk about these guys a little bit and kind of a tribute. So I, I wanted to add to um, this is a little before by a week or two, but uh, Masa Saito died as well. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm not real familiar with Saito, so that'll be more in Brad's wheelhouse, but. Uh, um, that that is true. He was involved in the infamous um, Ken oh, Katara yeah. McDonald's ending up in prison situation. Oh wow! So if if you don't know that story, uh, I guess they wanted McDonald's late at night, and this is going to really date the story because you know McDonald's is always open now. But they wanted McDonald's late night. It was closed. They decided to chuck a rock through the window. And then I believe they got in a fight with a bunch of police officers. And that's how Ken Patera ended up in prison for a couple years. And then had that god-awful WWF run afterwards. Supposedly, there's a little bit more to that story. Like, they showed up to get in there. And the the employees have locked the door in front of them, and they're out there going, you know, hey, guys, look, we're hungry. Could we just get something? And the folks on the inside are, like, holding food up in front of them and either eating it or throwing it in the trash right in front of them, to which incited them. But still, property damage. We, we can't condone that kind of property damage on this podcast, guys. That's That would be irresponsible of us. Yeah, and then they, they, they threw a what was described as a boulder <laughs> and through the glass. Uh, and then I guess from what I heard of the story is that cops got called, but not to the premises because they had already left. But they somehow got tracked down to their hotel, in which case, uh, allegedly, there was, like, there was like some sort of brawl with the cops. And that's what resulted in the uh, prosecution. 
Yeah. Let's be fair for a second to say it was a, well, first of all, given the two guys involved, a boulder through the window could be true, but given the nature of stories like that to be embellished a little bit, you could probably just call it a large rock instead of a, quote, boulder. Um, <laughs> you know, so, Lord, who knows? But, yeah, a weird incident, right? Yeah. Uh, this might have also been... Uh responsible for the years later incident with Jim Cornette at Dairy Queen. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know what? That's going to take so much work. We're going to have to dig into that on another show because that's that's a whole other topic to itself. Chris Jericho wow. is also in that video. Uh, Chris Jericho is the one that was pushing his buttons to get it going. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, so... I think he quick question. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Was Patera with AWA during that period? I think so, maybe. I'm not sure. Was he with it or was he with the I think it was with the AWA, right? He had a pretty successful um heel run against Hogan. Although I don't remember the time frame. That's like a little before my time. He had one with Backland in like the early eighties. And then he was part of, like, the Sheiks with Jerry Blackwell in the AWA, I think. Mm. And then um, I think he did Crockett for a while. I mean, he was, he was, there was probably, like, a five or six year period where he was a big deal. And then he kind of screwed it all up with the McDonald's incident. Because, I mean, if you've, if you've seen, if you've seen him, like, post comeback in WWF that is not like the guy that existed in the early 80s hmm. though I mean I think his most memorable post comeback thing was the um, Heenan toss I don't know um, I'll be honest with you I haven't watched a whole lot of that but damn there we go um, okay, so like you said, um, we lost Saito. The, net, the first of the original three that I mentioned, the first one we were going to dig into was uh, Brickhouse Brown. Um, for a little background, um, well, on his passing, um, in April 2017, Brown announced he was diagnosed with stage four prostate cancer. And Stage four cancer, you know, was just kind of kind of take off and go. Um, and the, uh, you know, he finally passed away on uh, July 29, 2018. Uh, he was 57. He also, there was also like a rumor like a week or two before that he was dead and then they found out he was still alive and then. Yeah. So, yeah, Brickhouse Brown uh, one is of, a weird I one. I want to take a second. Hang on. Just okay. point this out that, um, you know, he died of prostate cancer. Um, right now, the um, American Cancer Association is recommending men of it used to be 50. Now it's 45. Truth be told, I'm probably going to start looking at it around 40, uh, getting colonoscopies done to try and, and find this sort of stuff early. So, 
I, I don't know how many of you guys that are out there listening might fall into this category, but for what it's worth, I want to encourage you to do that. Take care of yourself. Um, that's what two, three days of hassle in order to just make sure you're doing all right. So sorry, Brad, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I agree with that. I had to get the old prostate exam once. It was not fun. Did he buy you dinner first? No, unfortunately. He had small fingers, so that was a plus. <laughs> you don't want one of the guys who would appear on, on that we'd be talking about on our podcast to be the one doing that, right? Take off that Hall of Fame ring before you do your exam. Yeah. But yeah. Um, So, he's a name I've heard a lot, and I, I couldn't remember any matches I'd seen of him. So I looked through his history... And I've obviously seen him wrestle. I don't have any real recollections of him. He was a mainstay in Memphis for a long time. Um, Mid-South did some jobs in like Mid-Atlantic. And um, I think he even did a couple WWF shows where he jobbed. He did uh, win the USWA Southern Tag Team titles with uh, Matt Mixon's favorite wrestler, The Gambler. The Gambler is tremendous. The Gambler is only eclipsed by Epico Cologne in my heart. Where did you? Where were you first introduced <laughs> to the Gambler? Was it when he was doing like Saturday Night Jobs in the late '90s? Absolutely, because um, I told you I started watching wrestling like in the early '90s, um, watching WCW Saturday Night, the mo- the Mothership Tony, and the Gambler was he would I feel like he was always in a match. There was always a Gambler match every like Saturday night. And he'd be like team or or tag team. He tag team with like you know Fidel Sierra or something like that. Pistol Pez Watley. Uh, Pistol Pez is one of my uh, favorites. Yeah. And also, I mean, Pistol Pez also has a special place in my heart because uh, he was the obvious um, inspiration for one uh, Fez Watley. <laughs> Even the speaking style, I think. Uh, was inspired for inspiration for Fez. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, so uh he did that. I think he won the Southern Heavyweight title at some point, but I mean, if you were in Memphis for any length of time, you probably tripped over a couple of like dozen <laughs> Southern Heavyweight reigns. He started in the, the mid 80s, I think, right? I think he started a little earlier. I think he started in like the early 80s. Mm. I um the the first memory I have of of hearing Brickhouse's name was actually when I sat down to read Foley's first book and he talked about his time in Memphis and apparently the story was that um, Brickhouse had such a stiff drop kick that it would it would cause Foley to pinch a nerve in his neck and there's a whole story that goes on about that and I can't remember the name of the ref that like Foley caught one of those Brickhouse drop kicks to the head and he rolls out because, you know, his whole left shoulder and left side, the nerves are all lit up and the guy it's like keeps doing the count, even though Foley's trying to break it and buy some time to shake it off. And after the match, the guy's like, Cactus Jack's the biggest pussy I've ever seen in the wrestling business. Um, and the thing that always struck me about that is like, dude, you Look in in hindsight. Do you feel like maybe you're a dumbass? But 
I can't remember the name of the ref. He also um, he also held the tag titles with, um, and this is also if you've followed any kind of like non major league wrestling in the early '90s, you'll know this name. But he held the titles with uh, Sweet Daddy Falcone. Oh, Sweet Daddy Falcone. Yeah, I think he wrestled. Didn't uh, didn't Sweet Daddy Falcone? Who I'm trying. Maybe I'm confusing him with someone else. Um, did he have another name? I don't know. I know he wrestled in like late era world class. I'm looking it up. Um, and um, he was in the GWF. It was Sweet Daddy. Yeah, that's where I remember him from. He was definitely in the GWF. Which, how long did the GWF last, actually? Well, they kind of had... Only like a year or two, right? I think it went from like 93 to 95. Maybe 92 Mm -hmm. to 90. No. It lasted a little longer than you think because... um, It... uh, He was also Guido Falcone. It went a little longer than you'd think because, like, someone else bought it and then it, like, went off of ESPN, but it still, like, existed because that's where, like, um, oh, what's his name? Um, Ahmed Johnson was before they signed him. 91 to 94. No, 92 to 94. Yeah, I really need to. I think the W, I think the, the network has a bunch of those episodes on. ESPN Classic plays it too. It's a it's a fascinating story uh, because of <laughs> that's like uh, the prototypical Nigerian scammer mm-hmm. that um, got um, oh crap what's his name Joe Pettacino? Yes, Joe Pettacino. Wow. There's um, um between the sheets did like a twelve hour thing. 12 hour what they went through like all the newsletters like um now that's a deep dive yeah detailing like all of like the stuff with um with like the the scam part of it because they even tracked down the guy that like scammed him like is still living in georgia or whatever (laughs) wow so they did investigative reporting yeah well they were just googling on the show and they like tracked him down Huh. It's really interesting, like, um, because Pettacino thought he was going to get all this money, and then it, they were going to buy, like, the USWA, and they even had it on paper, but, like, the money never showed up and all that stuff. So then they, like, started it with, like, barely any of the money, and then, like, what little money they had ran out pretty quick, and then he had all that stuff. Yeah, so um, Brickhouse Brown, just uh, go well, ahead. Uh, there's one thing that I guess maybe the most famous thing that Brickhouse was a part of. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? His feud with the stud stable. Oh, I thought he was in the stud stable. He was in the stud stable. This is when he... Um, Basically, it was a babyface turn where he then started feuding with them. Oh, okay. Um, I only mention this because I actually watched it, uh, at least some of the the clips from that angle, 
mm-hmm. earlier today. And it's one of those angles that it's kind of a sign of the time and also a sign of like the region they were in that they could actually get away with this. Oh, is it one of those, Uh-oh. um, is it one of those Southern like, wow, this is like really uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, this could never be done today. Um, I get, they could get away with it 30 plus years ago, but not today. Um, it is on YouTube though. At least there's a couple clips on YouTube. We can kind of get the base, the basics of the angle. Um, so, Brickhouse was part of the stud stable. If you don't know what the stud stable was, that was one of the heel factions in uh It was um it in was Memphis. Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden. Yeah, you you probably better know uh, in WCW as Colonel Robert Parker yes. and Bunkhouse Buck. <laughs> and if you if you want to know why Robert Fuller is such a happy man, just take a look at his trunks. Also, yeah. he was known I, in the WWF as Jeff Jarrett's manager, Tennessee Lee. Oh yeah. Um, and Brad, I think uh, I think I think that was in Foley's book. Uh, yeah. There's a there's a Jamie Dundee <laughs> clip of him talking about his giant hog, and like it's the funniest thing ever. Uh, anyway, there was a there was a heel faction called the Stud Stable. It was run by Rob Fuller, um, who was kind of like a promoter, but also he was an active wrestler. Um, I think... Oh, is this, co- was this from Continental? Yeah. Uh, okay. Continental is um, one of those promotions I really want to get into because that's got, like, Bob Armstrong, <clears throat> who's, like, supposed to be amazing in, like, his heyday. Yeah. Um, it had... I for, This clip, it definitely had um, Gorgeous Gary Young was in the this, this stud stable. Um, nice. I want to say it might have also been Dutch Mantel. Kind of looked like a dude. Was, it looked like Dutch. Was Ron Wright in there? No, I didn't see Ron Wright. I did see uh, Downtown Bruno, oh, aka Har- Harvey Whippleman. <laughs> if we want to talk about oh, managers, wow. I hate Harvey. Whippleman. I never thought he was good. No. I didn't see a lot of his '80s Memphis uh, stuff. It's still but not good. To really judge, but I, I don't feel. Yeah, I, I never liked him as Harvey, Harvey Whippleman. But I have to admit, it took me just entirely too long to realize that downtown Bruno and Harvey Whippleman were the same guy. Yeah. I don't know why I just never put those together. Anyway, they, uh, Brickhouse was part of the group and I mean, it's, and then this African American gentleman. Um, so the way the angle goes is that they, the stud stable was out there and they were celebrating something like it. I, it's kind of unclear what they were celebrating, but um, it starts off with Robert Fuller having gotten everyone uh, like food. He has like this little feast that he's put out there, um, and it's like uh, it's an assortment. You know, it's like vegetables, uh, maybe some some other food, and then he's got. A nice big watermelon, <laughs> and oh. he is trying to like convince Burkhouse, like, oh yeah, look, I got all this feast for everyone, and here you go, I got a, got a watermelon here, and he does it like nonchalantly. He's not like even saying like, oh yeah, that one, that specifically is for you. But Brickhouse is basically like, hey, wait, what what's up with this? This isn't cool. I don't like this. And they did something which I think for the times and the area was probably kind of nuanced. In that Fuller 
like blew it off. He like shrugged it off. It's like, hey, look, I don't know you're I don't know why you're upset. I mean, I just got this food here. Uh, you know, if you have an issue, I think I think you're the one who's like making a big deal about this. Like, I just got food. So he's kind of like dismissing the whole racial aspect of it, but it kind of sets the the tone that Brickhouse is upset. Clearly, it's like a racial type thing going on with this particular <laughs> angle. I mean, you can't you can't do that. And and Brickhouse actually even says that. In his uh, when he's getting heated out there, he's like, "Oh, what? You're gonna bring out like fried chicken next?" Uh, <laughs> so that's like that's like the first week of this or so. And then fast forward to like next the following week, um, and again like uh, Fuller's and the studs table are out there. Like uh, they're out there celebrating something, maybe a victory. It's unclear. But he's got gifts for everyone, and you know he's bringing out. He got like a, a new robe for gorgeous Gary Young. He's like treating all his boys great, and he gives uh, Brickhouse Brown a box, and he's just like celebrating. Everyone's celebrating, and then Brickhouse opens up his box, and he does it. Unfortunately, the way they 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 shot it, he the focus was kind of like on Fuller and everything celebrating. You didn't get like the the full impact of him opening the box. But you do see him open it, and then he just like pulls the item out of the box, and you see him just being like pissed. And he goes over to Fuller, and it's like, well, like what is this? And uh, Rob Fuller has given him a do rag, and it's like, okay, <laughs> well, that's uh, that's kind of unambiguous. That's yeah. pretty like that. And again, Fuller kinds to try and blow it off, but Brickhouse has just had enough. And he's like, you know what? Screw you guys. Like, I quit. I quit the stud stable. This is BS. Um, and then so they attack him. And the funny thing is, like, he, uh, they had this stick, which Fuller said he was going to, it was a gift he was giving to whoever the face. Like, he's like, this is the ugly stick. I'm going to beat you with the ugly stick. And he's like, trash talking. So then uh, when Brickhouse turns on them, and goes face. That's when they assault him, and then Fuller be- starts beating him with the ugly stick. You, so you know what that immediately makes me think of? Well, two things. One's wrestling related, and one's not. It reminds me of the Nation of Domination, where The Rock got D'Lo, The Godfather, and Mark Henry Rolexes, and then he gave um, Farouk a painting of himself. <laughs> oh, yeah. frame, it was a frame picture yeah. of himself. But. But then this also, so because my mind went somewhere else, it reminds me of the first ever episode I saw of Howard Stern on the E! Show, where someone brought him in a painting of Howard Stern, and he took the painting, and he took a knife, and he cut it up in front of the guy that brought it in for him. I don't think yeah, I saw that one. That's a heel move right there. That, it's, that's way old. That's like before they even had like a studio like designed for TV. Like we're talking... Yes. 94 95 yeah that's a heel move right there but yeah that but um going back to the nation one that one is brilliant because then like farouk like didn't he break it like it in the ring and all that stuff he starts giving the rock down the way and i think the rock took it took it and hit him with it and, if i remember correctly and i think that was one of those weird like they had it on like a tuesday because of the dog show or something oh yeah that was always so disappointing as I sit down, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get to watch me some dogs. That was the worst, too, when, like, Nitro was an hour because of the playoffs. Oh, yeah. It's like, I got my got all my homework done. I'm getting ready. I'm going to sit here and watch crap. 
one hour and like half of it was Hogan talking. Oh God. Yeah. Yep. That sounds yeah, so like, that um that sounds interesting. Yeah, so they're they're clearly playing up the racial aspect of it, but uh it did get Brickhouse over. Um I have to admit I'm I'm surprised that they well, I'm not surprised that they did it. I'm surprised that they were portraying themselves as the heels for doing it. They went with a lot of um, very racially charged angles in the 80s and 90s, especially in those southern territories. Like, if you go back to the USWA, they had, like, the snowman and Jerry Lawler angle. Mm-hmm. And, um... Snowman? You've never this seen... One, I, don't, I don't recall this one. Um, and then, smoking the bandit angle. No, he uh, he was in mid south. He he didn't. He was in mid south in USWA. He's the guy that supposedly peddled the USWA uh, unified title for crack or something like that. What? Okay. No, I didn't know it. Well, I'm... it's something to look up later. That. I can't even make a joke. I want to make a joke about, but I can't do it. I'm not. Anyway. It's also Jim Cornette talked about it somewhere in an interview, I think, where he was talking about they went from Memphis to Mid-South and they would do stuff that would be okay in Memphis and then like Mid-South would get you in deep shit. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. I um, I feel like we should watch some some mid-south and kind of give a perspective on that in a future show because i actually i listened to a really like a two-year-old podcast um with uh, that stone cold was interviewing paul Heyman, and Heyman was talking about how like he was originally supposed back in the day when he was first breaking into wrestling he was supposed to do some booking with uh eddie gilbert um, and then he it, that got into like a tangent talking about Eddie Gilbert and Eddie Gilbert's time in Mid South and just some of the angles they did. And one of them, like I don't know if you are familiar with it, the infamous um, Russian angle where he they assault Bill Watts and they they leave him like bleeding in the ring and drape the Russian flag on top of him. Wow! And it was a super powerful angle. It's you can see it on a on YouTube, they have uh, some clips of it and it's just amazing. So that covering that and some of, uh, some of the stuff they did in their heyday, cause they had a bunch of guys who later, you know, were kind of up and coming at that point, but then became much bigger stars like Duggan and Dr. Death. And one man, of gang. course, Ted. Yeah. One man gang, Ted DiBiase. There was a time where it was probably the biggest promotion in the United States. Really? Well, the UWF was, um, the UWF had like amazing ratings. Cause if you watch the UWF TV, it's really, it's really fresh and good for the time, but he kind of kept being a victim of circumstance. Like when, um, they gave the slot to Crockett, they had a bunch of wrestling on TBS and, um, Watts actually had the best ratings on there and, ESPN was considering between the UWF and the AWA, and they went with the AWA because of Sergeant Slaughter. So he really just got hosed repeatedly. Now, did Slaughter have the G.I. Joe tie-in before that? Or was it just Slaughter was that good? 
Uh, he had the G.I. Joe tie-in at that point. Okay. It's one of those things I get muddy on that timeline, so I have to ask. You watch, like, AWA in 86, he's hawking that G.I. Joe stuff pretty hard. That doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, that's that's a sweet gig to get in on. It is. Okay. So, so. Um, Brickhouse Brown is definitely someone I want to seek out. I want to watch that stuff that Mixon was talking about now because that sounds, um, it sounds heated, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that sounds like some seriously napalm heat. And that would have been, if it's continental, that would have been Alabama. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. To, to their credit, I mean, they weren't booking him poorly. They were definitely clearly presenting him as like someone who dis, who felt he was wrong, and rightfully it was there was a racial tinge to it, and was the clear like babyface there. So I don't know. I, I would kind of like I would like want to seek more of that stuff out too. Um, from, from what people said, he actually was a pretty good worker. Um. Decent on the on the mic too. It's like I said. I mean, we're talking about we had three notable people pass away the same day. You know, you don't end up being notable in wrestling by not being good at some stuff, right? I'd say so. Yeah. So, anything else we wanted to mention about Brickhouse? Um, no, like I said, I want to seek out the stuff that Mixon was talking about. So yeah, I'll be digging up some continental the rest of this week. All right. Um, the next person we'll talk about is Nikolai Volkov. Uh, Volkov originally, uh, from Croatia, but his mother was Russian. Uh, his father was, was Croatian. And, um, you know, the thing that, this one bothers me just a little bit because just just two weeks before he passed away, I was actually moderating a panel he was a part of with Bushwhacker Luke and Tito Santana. So, you know, it's you know I just saw the guy, shook his hand. He was super nice. He was great to talk to. Every inch the six four that he was billed as, you know, and. You know, still wearing the the red Russian tracksuit and the remember the name on but nice guy he uh, wrestled a um, match last year i saw in his cage match bio what he like he was always at the conventions i feel like i saw him at a mania weekend yeah he and he have... did he didn't look particularly ill I... no he didn't look ill when i saw him either he just you know he was 70 he had so... he from I don't know if they updated the, the 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 cause of death, but it looked like he just had one of those um, got dehydrated, went to the hospital, and had complications and passed away. And then, well, yeah, that's that's what I had seen is that he had that, and then he went home and passed away there. So he probably knew he's on the way out and wanted to be at home instead of I'm guessing in the got, hospital. I'm guessing he got pneumonia or something like that. Possibly. Um, like I said, it's unfortunate. It was 
super nice guy. He told um, he told a couple of funny stories that I'll go ahead and share. The first one is the first time he met Vince, and he didn't specify it was if it was Vince Junior Vince Senior. So I'm going to assume Vince Senior given the time frame. He said the first time he met Vince, Vince said, "I'd like for you to tell me a story." Kind of an odd interview question, but he says, "Okay, I tell you a story." And this is bad Russian accent. I'm sorry, I can't help myself sometimes. There are these two crows that are out in the desert, and they think they're going to die. And the one says to the other, "says We just need to make it over that hill, and we'll live." And they, so they 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 can't bring themselves to fly, but they they. Sc- their way up to the top of the hill and they get there and there's nothing on the other side and they roll down the other side and the first one looks at the other and says well now we're going to die he goes no 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 just over on the other side of this hill is our salvation so they go up there and they get to the top of the hill and they look down and they see a bull there's this bull in this I guess this was in the American Southwest I don't know but there's this bull there and the bull takes a big dump and they like tumble down the dunes and his words were and they get some energy from it right and I'm just like okay didn't know crows were into that but whatever and they look up and at the top of the bridge there's this tree there he says now that we have some strength we can fly to the top of that tree and see what's around us and we can find something better so they fly up there and whenever they land the farmer walks out of the back of his uh back of his house with a shotgun and blows him out of the top of the tree he says it's because bullshit might get you to the top but it won't keep you there and I thought that's a long story to make that point (laughs) but apparently Vince loved it so who am I to say Um, the other story that he told that I really got a kick out of because it started I asked him what it was like to work with Bruno and he's like oh Bruno's great Bruno was a gentleman you know, and there's there's not a whole lot more I can say than that other than, you know, Bruno was great. And I was like, oh, he said, but I'll tell you a good story. I was like, hell yeah, you're going to tell me a good story. Go nuts. He says, the most scared I ever was is when I was working for Bill Watts, which in my head, I'm thinking, OK, that doesn't actually surprise me all that much, given all the stories you hear about the heat that Watts garnered in his territory. Right. And. They get the, he says, he'd been doing the thing where he would come out and he'd play the tape of the Russian national anthem and, and want everybody to stand for it and people get so pissed. He says, so he's standing in the middle of the ring, or it's it's the Superdome show in New Orleans. And he gets there and he says, Mr. Watts, I'm sorry, I don't know what happened, but my tape of the Russian national anthem's gone. And Bill Watts looks at him and says, well, you've been listening to it for how long? You could probably sing it, right? And he goes... Yeah, I could. He goes, then don't worry about it. We've got this covered. And he goes out to the ring, and the announcer gets on the mic. He says, Nikolai Volkov would like to play for you the Russian national anthem. Ooh. He says, but the junkyard dog has stolen the copy of his tape. And everybody's like, yeah, woo, go junkyard dog. He says, so instead, Nikolai Volkov is going to sing it for you. He said, everyone in that building was so pissed at him. He's, I'm standing in the middle of the ring, in the middle of the Superdome. It is the most scared I have ever been in my life. Hey, um... Have you ever heard the New Jack story where he talks about like the stuff Jim Cornette would put him up to in Smoky Mountain Wrestling? Uh, 
not from his mouth. I've heard it like secondhand. So he was t- telling the story like the first time he did like the kiss my black ass on TV. <laughs> and he said like you could feel like the booze like just welling up like a wave. And he's like, he's like, I would get in so much trouble and these people would hate me. And he was the one telling me to say it. And he'd point at like Cornette. That one's on YouTube. Was that whenever he crashed Cornette's shoot interview? Yeah. Okay. I I haven't watched that yet. That I've I've seen one. it. I've got it on my watch later, but I haven't watched it yet. I have um I have a, I have a, like a DVD set someone made like it's a it's a contextual like go like walk through like the WWF from like 78 to like 83. Mm-hmm. And it has like the big matches, promos like leading into the big matches and um one of the programs there was Volkov and Bruno, but they had Blassie and Volkov, and they had Volkov like breaking apples with his hands to show how strong he was. And it was yeah. it was interesting because it was Nikolai Volkov. He was the Nikolai Volkov character, but he still he was like transitioning from when he was one of the Mongols. So it okay. was like a weird between like look for him. Which is interesting. The Mongols are like him, um, Bill Eady, and I can't. I can't remember who the other one was. I'm not sure. He was Bolo, I think, though. Beppo. Beppo. Okay. Yeah, I, I. The reason that I liked his story about the the Superdome and everything so much is the fact that he is terrified in the middle of the ring, in the middle of the largest building that they've seen. Like. Anything happens, it's clearly going to be on tape and everything. But standing there, that's the most terrified he ever was. Just, just all of the the dressing that goes around that, that that just kind of fascinates me. I just, okay. I just can't imagine being a heel in those eras, like Piper talking about getting stabbed. Someone else got stabbed too. I don't remember who it was though. Ventura yeah, was- told a story about that. Yeah, it would depend entirely, I feel, upon like the region of the country. But yeah, that was you, you could get real violence. Yeah. Thrown at- and uh, New Orleans that- is I don't think the place I'd want to be pushing those buttons. Yeah, that was um, I've listened to a lot of Cornette interviews. He said that was the scary place for him because he said, you know, you get down there and you've got these Cajun guys who totally bind everything you do and they're boozed up and they've got knives <laughs> and he said they those were the scary ones. Like when he lived in New Orleans working for Watts, he didn't go out after dark. Like he always made sure he had gas in his car before the sun went down. He said that um, Dennis Condry had a guy jump him in a 7-Eleven because of how much heat they had. Yeah, to they, jump a dude in a 7-Eleven like that, right? They They tell stories too about like how their cars would get vandalized constantly. Yeah, um, I think his car got the tires slashed, so he's riding. He's riding back with Dennis, and they're they're riding up the road, and these two cars come up on either side of Dennis's van going down the highway, and Dennis ha- reaches under his seat and pulls out this huge pistol, and like turns and points it at one and points it at the other, and they both slam on the brakes and leave because that's what it took to get them to leave him alone. I just can't imagine. They were, th- there's a book I had read recently um, where these guys were having dinner with wrestlers. I think it was called um, Breaking Kayfabe. 
dinners with legends and that was a common theme that they talk about the heels is getting their tires slashed yeah i will i I think you guys have heard this story before i don't think i've told it while we've been recording so i'll go ahead and tell this the closest i've ever gotten to it and if you've heard it before i'm sorry i forgot i told it please bear with me i've been hitting the head a lot um i was working a uh small town in southeast kentucky which you know that the opioid crisis has hit that area really hard but i'm doing this crazy hill preacher gimmick and i tell everybody there that all the bad stuff there that's happened is because they've enabled it they've let it happen they've been you know instead of instead of calling down the people who've been doing this you've been showing them mercy and enabling them and i stop and i realize that the building, once I quit talking, the building got so quiet you could hear a pin drop. And I thought to myself, oh God, I have either just killed this town, which is bad because it was the promoter's hometown, or these people are going to wait for me in the parking lot tonight. And as it turns out, I stayed in the parking lot until half past midnight before a two hour drive home because there were people out there. So, um, K Fame lives, brother. So, well, I think I hit a nerve is what I did. <laughs> can I ask you a question? Uh, it, that would seem apparently true. <laughs> can I ask a question? Yeah. So I know we've, we've tiptoed around that before, and I know you said you were a, you know, a face for a long time and they liked you, but is that the first time like you ever like took out your little pickaxe and hit a raw nerve and you were just like, oh, like, did I just like you know, tap into that, like, real, like, heat. That's the worst case. Um, The first time I did it, because for a long time I started out as a manager and then I was doing the bodyguard. The guy that got me in the business was actually doing the Hollywood's next big hit when The Miz still wore, like, shorts and spiked his hair to the ring. Um, We were doing an outdoor show, right? And it was for a local festival and we pissed people off. Like we had just started marketing ourselves as the VIPs and calling people down because they weren't important. And this kid who was like 10 years old started ripping into me, like some of the foulest stuff you ever heard. And I said, Oh, I'm sorry, kid. What was that? And he starts talking again. He goes, no, no, no. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you the truth. He goes, fine. Tell me the truth is. And I said, the truth is I could have been your dad, but the dog beat me over the fence. And I dropped the microphone. And I looked back over my shoulder, and he was on the point of tears, and his dad standing behind him. And I went over to my tag partner. I was like, I think I got a little bit too saucy there. He goes, yeah, we're going to get our asses beat in this match, so might as well make it worth it. And uh, one of the guys I was working, I was on the ground on the outside. to the junk spot and I was like just go to the top man I'm right in front of this kid I pissed off so bad so he did like he went to the top and then jumped off with it and thankfully he punched me in the stomach instead of the junk but those are those are the two big stories that stick out in my mind that's uh that's um that's always interesting to me when like I don't know you when you cross that line from like kind of what I'd call amateur hour to like tapping into the real stuff. There's a way to be a heel that is 
like you make people mad and it's still entertaining. And then there's a way to be a heel where you like legitimately piss them off and hurt their feelings. That second one's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't do it in any place that uh, they carry knives in their persons. Just to the general say, course of action. I was going to say, don't do it at shows where half of the crowd probably has a gun on them. Yeah. It's in their uh, pickup truck in the parking lot. Yeah. most Mostly folks in the mountains of Kentucky are good folks. It's just, I knew, I know the area very well, and I knew that I was I was pissing them off. I just didn't realize how bad it was. And then later I asked the promoter afterwards, I was like, I'm sorry, I was scared I killed the town. And he just starts laughing. He goes, there are people who are so pissed at you right now. So I took that as a good sign. <laughs> so did your, did your push get considerably better after that event? I was in the middle of a push at the time. Okay. I was kind of doing this monster heel thing, and I took this, this fan-favorite I don't know why, but the kids in the audience, there were kids in the audience that loved this mask jobber gimmick we had. And I beat the living hell out of that guy. I I didn't get too stiff on him, but God, they, I think there was one girl in the crowd in tears because he, I didn't give him anything, you know, and yeah, I'm, I've like, turned his mask on it looks like i'm like chewing trying to bite him in the eye and she's just freaking out so nice so nikolai volkov (laughs) you know he was not i would never i i enjoy volkov i enjoy the gimmick he's not someone i would call a great worker yeah that's true i think his best match i've seen is probably the hogan saturday night main event some, I, I guess he's most famous outside of the 80s stuff um, that I'm familiar with. This is my, actually, this was probably one of my, uh, not earliest, but one of my enduring recollections of Nikolai Volkov is this. I love, I actually loved him singing the National Anthem. <laughs> you know, he was, um... He was the catalyst for Sergeant Slaughter's big run in 90 and 91. Really? Because he turned face and Hacksaw Jim Duggan embraced him. And and Sergeant Slaughter did not start out as a, um Iraqi sympathizer. He started out as a America's Gone Soft. Mm. And um, that was kind of the catalyst for it. Yeah. And I... Um... I, okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, and I was going to say, and then Volkov came back for the Money Incorporated. Yeah. Uh, I think outside of the 80s stuff, his most famous work is probably the the Bruno series. And I think a lot of that is actually online. So I'm, I actually am curious to check it out. Because I think if anyone could pull a, a good match out of Volkov, it would be probably Bruno. It's tough with that, with New York stuff from like the 70s, though, because a lot of it's not good. Yeah, I know. They they completely worked a very different style. And, and, um, and not, most of it's not good. We've, we've mentioned that before on the podcast. And like for some reason, um, that New York that style New York. was having the, the baby faces just gobble the, the heels up. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah. Um, I have his autograph, though, because I, I mailed him something, and he was kind enough to sign it and mail it back to me. That that honestly wouldn't surprise me. I have a couple guys I got like that. I have a I have a picture. I have an index card where Terry Funk drew the state of Texas on it and signed his name. <laughs> so, um, I was gonna say, yeah, that's. I mean, Volkov. I guess you could call him kind of the 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 forefront of the the evil Russian gimmick kind of thing. Um, other people, I did it afterward. I'm not sure if he, I doubt he was necessarily the first one, but he may have been the first one that was really big at it. He, uh, well, he was, I would say he was the realist at it because a famous story is Freddie Blassie, like encouraged him to keep doing it because he was, you know, he was using it as a way to show like the absurdities of communism because I mean, I mean, really, he was like, if you, I think, I think he's even said it. He was a victim of like that communist regime. I didn't hear him talk about it, but he kind of like danced around the point. Yeah. He and, um, well, he, uh, he also like this, I'm not going to go deep into it, but, um, the way the Iron Sheik ended up in the United States is a very interesting and tragic story too. Kind of like, okay. What were you going to say, Matt? Uh, just to add to that point about, you know, his not being a fan of uh, communism, despite the fact that that was his gimmick. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, if he if he was from Eastern Europe, which I mean, he, if he's from Croatia, Croatia was um, a socialist republic back then. And I think he did. That's ultimately how he got to North America was he basically defected. Right. Yeah. He moved to Canada and I think was working with the Hearts. I think that's the story. Mm-hmm. I believe you're correct. Yeah, yeah Yugoslavian weightlifting team. Yeah, he he would have been he would have been in that era where you know most of Eastern European was in some way or shape or form either under like socialist control. They they all were basically like a part of the Russian hegemony of what was going on then. So yeah, he would have, he would have known. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, he started a lot earlier than I thought. Cause I thought like, Oh, he started in like the early seventies and wow, he started in 67. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So you think about if you watch that, like if you watch him at WrestleMania three, he's 20 years into his career. Hmm. That's, that's pretty wild, isn't it? Now, I have to admit, um, I do like Volkov, but um, I, just, I find Ivan Koloff to be a superior Russian gimmick. Yeah, he, he, Ivan was very, very good. Ivan was more real for some reason. Which is funny because he, Ivan wasn't remotely Russian. No. <laughs> at least, at least Nikolai was kind of from that part of the the world geographically but ivan was never canadian uh sorry he was a never russian he was a french canadian which is that's they i guess they just were like hey this guy has a you know kind of indistinguishable accent it just sounds foreign <laughs> yeah. so we'll just 
will claim he's Russian. But he made a he made an entire career out of the gimmick and did a brilliant job with it. Yeah, yeah. I I also think what I know it's sad to say it's notable, but um, when you really get into a lot of those guys, especially from like the seventies and the eighties, so many of them are just like just pieces of crap. And um, when you read about Nikolai Volkov, he seems like he seems just like a good human being. Mm-hmm. That's everything. Because after I met him, I went and started reading on that. And there's like Freddie Blassie credits him for helping him reconnect with his daughter. And um, he worked with the Baltimore County Police Athletic League uh, kid programs. And, you know, just apparently just being a nice guy. Yeah, he was a he was like a civil servant. Um in Maryland, he worked. Uh, I think he did like zoning or something like that. Um, I remember. He, I remember um, this story because uh, I'm. I live in the D.C. area, so it was kind of a local story. But I remember he years and years ago. I think he ran for office. Um, I don't think it was anything major. I think it was like probably just like a state office. Hang on. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Two thousand six. He oh, was okay. in primary for it. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right because it was quite some time I think ago. I but I remember I, that. Yeah, I remember him running, and they because I remember reading like the Washington Post, which is you know the, a major a national newspaper, but it's the the major newspaper here in DC, uh, and they had articles on it, and it was hilarious because I I mean I'm, I would I open up the the newspaper to read that day, and it's like holy crap, <laughs> Nikolai Volkov is uh, running for office, but. Yeah, I don't think he won. I think it was uh, he wasn't uh, he was not as successful as uh, your mayor of Knox. Yeah, your mayor of Knoxville, the big red machine. I have to admit that's been the other big notable thing that's happened lately. Wrestling tie-in that the <laughs> the mayor elect of Knoxville has successfully done a tombstone pile driver to the chief administrator for the small business administration. I- I, I hope in the he, federal government. I hope he makes some like intern like turn his music on as he walks into his office in the morning. He had that music whenever yeah, he went yeah. to go give his uh, victory speech. Yes. Yeah, he, he, they played it as he walked up, which is the best thing ever. Um, yeah, the, the, the mayor, the mayor elect of uh, of Knoxville has uh, used a uh, car battery to electrocute Jim Ross's balls. Do you guys remember that? Uh, I thought that was Shane McMahon. Was Shane. Oh, you're right. Maybe it was Shane. You know, Sorry, I'm confusing. He set Jim, Jim Ross on fire. fire. Yeah. Yes. yes. I remember when they did that, that was, I think, in, it's supposed to be at this very dramatic angle. I remember watching that and just laughing and laughing and laughing hysterically because I'm like, man, oh my God. They really, ru- they really ruined him with that Shane feud at the time though oh they absolutely did because that was right after he unmasked and he was so hot for like a few weeks like he was the major monster heel i will beat that that feud with yep i will beat that drum until the day i die they could have made some serious money if they had main evented a big show with goldberg defending the title against kane oh yeah yeah but we couldn't have that because that was kind of at the the height of the Triple H power. Yeah. You know, he's 51. So, that doesn't surprise Kane? me. Yeah, because I, yeah, I told my wife about um, about it, and so she was Googling him. 
Yeah, okay. it's kind of crazy if you think about it. He's actually been with the WWE for like twenty, actually over twenty years, right? Because yeah. he was he was the fake Diesel and Isaac. Dead Gang on it. Like that was my five. I, I think for that she was she was Dude. very tickled and wants to be f- to find footage of him as the Christmas creature. Oh, he did that in Smoky Mountain. Mm-hmm. Dang on it. There's the joke I had for it, and I forgot I was going to say it. <clears throat> Why is it that truckers don't like to stop in Knoxville now? Because they have fake diesel. <laughs> oh, he's had... I, I stole the joke. Is, he has to have survived more bad gimmicks than anyone because he survived that. He survived Isaac Yankum. He survived Katie Vick. I know. That there's a testimony to Glenn Jacobs as a, as a wrestling performer. Oh, that Katie Vick thing. I, I've never... I've they've never quite gotten me back after the Katie Vick thing. I recorded it when it happened just so that I could say that I had visual evidence that the dumbest thing I had ever seen happen on TV was on Raw. Are you talking about the Triple H video where he screwed her brains out? Where it was with the man. Yeah. Yeah. And then... The reality TV era hit, and I was, it was a fart in the wind. It didn't compare much more than a lot of other stuff that was on the air. Yeah. So. So do we, do we have, do we have anything else to say in regards to uh, Nikolai? Other than, you know, I think, I think if there is a wrestler that feels like your lovable uncle that knows the best new joke and, you know is the cool one to hang out with. It, that's what Nikolai feels like. Nick, Nikolai would definitely have fit that. Yeah. Yeah. Again, he, we said it before on the podcast, but he, he just seemed like a really nice guy. He did. Yeah. And he was always very polite at, at the conventions. I mean, I haven't, I haven't been to a million conventions, but the ones I, I did, he would always just sit there very, very politely, very nice, mm-hmm. you know, very agreeable to people coming up to him and talking to him. Um, just seemed like a really super nice guy. Like was always very like, uh, Never was one to, to bash people whenever he would do like shoot interviews or talk about that. It was always very uh, respectable. He seems so, like yeah. he was just, it was his way to make money and he didn't have like a big ego about it. He just was doing his, you know, like we do our nine to five. Didn't mm-hmm. want any drama, just yeah. wanted to cash his check. Though I did like, he, yeah. did you guys read the story about um, Killer Kowalski, him and Tito Santana? Uh-uh. So they um they were having some match. And I guess Killer Kowalski was like the um the special ref. And this is a rib story that's not sociopathic in nature. So okay. He's doing the ask and ref, ref ask and ref. So they're you know and this is like a match in front of people. So Kowalski like ducks down and is like like Tito like do you eat pussy? <laughs> and they both start. Trying not to crack up in the middle of all these people. That's a really good rib. That's which I liked because um, I liked it because it didn't involve um, human waste or practically murdering something or ruining somebody else's property. Yeah, so, I mean that's funny. That's that's doing stuff like that, trying to get people to crack in the ring, is a pretty funny way of of handling that sort of stuff i enjoy it yeah i always like the stories about the um 
the the infamous Owen Hart bad matches. Oh yeah, yeah. I never had the guts to do one of those, but it, it was always in the back of my mind. Okay, I want to go ahead and, and transfer us on over to our um, the last one we're going to talk about, and that was Mr. Brian Christopher Lawler. Um, so I think little is, background for everybody. I th- just you know. Uh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think this is the one we're going to have like the most to say about the actual situation and not um, necessarily his career or personality. Well, let's I want to I want to go ahead and do a refresher for everyone real quick. Um, the, Brian Christopher always stuck in my head because the, I remember one of the first things I saw the first night I started watching Raw was they were having their light heavyweight uh, tournament for who was going to be in the the light heavyweight um, championship match, and here comes Brian Christopher with Jerry Lawler out there, you know, cheering him on. And then they're so they're out there doing that, and um, you know, fine. And then he's out there, and Scott Taylor comes out, and then out Scott Taylor comes out, and Kane comes out and murders Scott Taylor, I think. Or I, maybe these both happened the same night. Like Christopher won his match, but Taylor gets murdered by Kane, and so Christopher advanced on to the finals. Um, look, you know, he he could he could move all right. He went into. Interestingly, they kind of teased the um, the uh, uh, tag team with. Oddly enough, Scott Taylor again as too much, where it was kind of this are they, are they not gimmick, which didn't really take off. It, it was just weird enough that it, it kind of seemed to make people more uncomfortable than anything. It wasn't over the top like Goldust was, but it was also just kind of weird enough to get people to not get invested. And then they became too cool. Grandmaster Sex A and Scotty Too Hottie and their affiliation with Rikishi. Um, I remember them running into Team with Cactus Jack against DX. The nuclear heat that night. Just amazing. And, you know, uh, he also has the, uh, you know, he also has the uh, qualification of being somebody who could do a top rope leg drop and still walk afterwards. So, you know, it's he he had more of a career after that too, but just kind of set the the my um, early uh, interaction or early recognizing of who he was. He was um he was a big deal in the USWA for like oh gosh six years before that. That's what I. I when I got to reading about him, that's what I understood is that he was, you know, a, um, you know, I mean, God, even not even marketing as Jerry Lawler's son being, um, you know, just being good and an entertaining character and that sort of stuff. So it's, you know, it's, it, it's unfortunate that he didn't stay, I guess, active 
in the the big league stuff. Like he, after the the two the too cool thing, he kind of faded in and out. Um, you know, Scotty Tuhati, I think, is still employed there as a coach. Yeah, they like, um they did they showed up on the first or second NXT special to take on the Ascension. Is too cool. Oh, okay. And I think they okay. did a they did a main roster appearance. I think maybe. Um, I think they did, but I don't remember when it was. And you know, he first user of the full Nelson slam that I remember on the main roster too. The the full Nelson face buster. So, all right. Now, um, we are kind of passing the potato around right here. So I wanted to ask, you know, um, Matt, had you gotten much of a read on on some of the circumstances around what happened with Brian Christopher's passing? Um, I've read a little bit about it. Uh, it seems well. He's had a lot of issues historically. Um, yeah with drug and alcohol use. And it seems that the last few months have been kind of bad. I know that there was, I didn't really read the, uh, too much of the story back when it happened, but a few months back he did get into that incident with, who was it Chase Stevens, another wrestler on, on the, uh, on the independent scene that he, he got into like a, a, a really bad fight where he was pretty heavily, um, battered i mean he there was uh wasn't there some concern that he was gonna it was life-threatening i think i missed didn't he suffer the, like a, i think i missed this story entirely really yeah the, yeah i did let me let me see um let's see if i can google it really quickly no like a few months back uh they were at a hotel uh lawler and i think i i want to say chase stevens and oh yeah here i'm pulling it up right now uh March from March, March uh, 2018. Um, wow, they were, I, I guess. Miss, how did I miss this? <clears throat> yeah, you know, I did. It, Meltzer obviously talked about it. Uh, I think in the Observer, but it it wasn't a. I mean, Lawler has been kind of out of the public eye for a bit. Um, and Chase Stevens, like when was the last time you heard about him, like 15 years ago in TNA. But they were, years I guess. Ago, maybe? Yeah, I guess they were booked on maybe an indie show, uh, and it seems that they were. This the article I'm looking at right now is from March, but it looks like it occurred in uh, in early February of 2018. But they were at a hotel afterwards, and they got into an argument. I think Chase Stevens was alleging that Lawler was like kidding on his girlfriend. Um, they got into a fight. Uh, Lawler, I think, w- w- was found to be intoxicated at the time. So maybe, maybe he was being inappropriate with Chase Stevens' girlfriend. Maybe he was just being, you know, kind of drunk and obnoxious. But they got into a fight, and Chase Stevens, like very, like very severely injured him. Uh, broke, I think, at least one of his orbital sockets. Uh, I think maybe broke his nose. It's like severely damaged his uh, his teeth. I think he like knocked a few teeth out, or otherwise it did enough damage that he was that you're talking like Platinum. dental surgery yeah. type, yeah. Um, and they arrested Chase Stevens. I don't know what became of that, but I'm guessing if uh, Lawler didn't press that he charges. may have like, fractured his skull or something. Maybe I don't. Uh, I don't know actually what happened beyond that because too. that's true. I mean, it could take a while. Um, 
but yeah, he was intoxicated. Based upon the article I'm looking at right now, it seems like he was Lawler was intoxicated on both drugs and uh, prescription medications. So that's kind of like that. That was already happening this year. So that's that's not good. Yeah. Yeah. And then fast forward a few months, um, he gets arrested for a DWI. Um, was it a DWI or was it a DUI? Oh, sorry, you're right. I think it was a DUI. Um, gets thrown in prison, or at least the jail, um, because he, when they, when the cops came, he apparently resisted arrest. I don't think it was necessarily he was being violent towards the police officers, but he was at least resisting. So they they kept him um, in whatever correctional facility or holding facility. Uh, and from here, this is where I don't think we have a ton of information, but what's being suggested is kind of concerning because I know that X-Pac actually posted about something. Um, it might have been on the Observer board, but definitely on, on, on maybe it's a, actually, I think it might have actually been on Reddit. Um, I don't know this, that it was Reddit, but that doesn't really matter. He posted it publicly, I guess. Yeah, he posted it publicly. Maybe it was, uh, maybe my confusion is that it was shared on Reddit. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 that's true. Because there that's were true. some people in on the that Reddit thread that had served time in prison that explained why they treated him the way they did. Uh, do you I'm have to see if I can find that? You guys go do ahead. You, do, maybe you can share as to why. Because, well, the backstory, I guess, is what from what uh, Xbox shared or what he had been told. He was kept in the facility because he had these, these charges. And I guess... Um, they could have posted bond uh, bail. He didn't have the money. Allegedly, I think it was about uh, $40,000. Um, obviously, his father, Jerry the King Lawler, has that amount of money. But f from what we know now, allegedly, uh, Jerry did not post the bond because the idea was like, well, you know, I've done this before. And then he just goes right back to getting drunk and getting arrested. Yeah, and I think... So I'm glad no one's thrown shade on Jerry because I think, yeah, I think it blew up in his face. But I think, I think, I think what his idea was that, like, look, like he's gotta, he's gotta freaking figure this stuff out. And that's allegedly his mentality behind it. Like the thought process behind it was that he, he felt that well, if I let him stay in the prison for a few days, this will be his rock bottom, and then I'll go post bail will immediately take him to rehab and he can get treatment and get better. That was the idea. Um, unfortunately, it seems from this information that has been shared or at least thrown out there in public, um, they kept him in solitary confinement for who knows how long. Allegedly, you know, to uh, so that he would be safe, even though that's not exactly how solitary confinement is, I don't, is used. I mean, it, it's, it, it can be... I don't know if he was actually in solitary confinement or if he was kept like he he was kept in like kind of the sequestered from others. Yeah. Or... That makes more sense to me. Okay, I, I spend two days a week at my job working with guys in jail, uh, and then I spend another day a week working with guys who are um, in, in a diversion program, and I've never heard of someone being put in solitary because of something like this like the idea of, of them being in solitary because they were being violent or something like that or in segregation because they got in trouble with someone I get that but in solitary because of it 
maybe I just haven't run across it, or maybe they just don't tell me. But I think it. I think the problem. I think the problem we're running into is like I think we don't understand the terminology, and that's getting lost in the translation. So I don't know what they did, but the idea is, and I think Shad will back this up, is because. He is the son. Well, he is a local celebrity because of his participation in the USWA, and his dad mm-hmm. is a big-time local celebrity. So, him being in the general population is a really bad idea because he's in danger from the other inmates for extortion and things like that because of his celebrity and because that it would be thought that he had money. So they would put him in. I don't know if it was solitary or it was like a sequestered thing, but he was being separated from the general population. We'll go with that for now because mm-hmm. he was in danger from other inmates. And this would be, I, from what, from what the people in the Reddit thread said, this would be pretty much standard operating procedure for anyone that is a celebrity. Yeah. Um, if, well, one of the responses I've come across um, from from someone who says he's an ex-con is to go and ad seg um, for his own protection. Uh, so, you, yeah, like you said, people harassing him for favors and stuff like that. <laughs> and, um, you know, Brian, you told the story earlier. He gotten in a fight early on and got gotten hurt real bad. So even if he could scrap he was in no shape to do it so he was separated um xbox response was that he was so mad because it was solitary and if you're in solitary like that you try and you know you, he said i tried to hang myself because of that and i was like whoa this is new and, yeah um, he, he said that he that when, when you're in those sort of situations if you're not suicidal beforehand you you can become you'll, suicidal. Yeah, you'll um, get that way. And I don't know quite enough statistics to verify that, but I, I that's not something that I have that I it's, I think it's completely off base. I think I have heard kind of things of that nature before. Like if you have if you do have someone who is going through some mental illness, like just isolating them um, is perhaps not the best course of action. And that at least is what's being suggested here is that he, he was clearly not in a, a good mental state. And I think they're trying to suggest, at least some people like Xbox are suggesting that the whatever facility and authorities were watching over him in that facility kind of breached their duty of care. Like they didn't really. It, it, it seemed like it. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, correction staff, to give them a little bit of credit, they're in a pretty stressful situation because there's not a whole lot of them and they're outnumbered quite a bit. You have the advantage of controlling the entries, the exits and stuff like that, but there's a lot going on that you're constantly trying to keep a handle on. I think too, I mean, it's, it's, it's a real tragedy this, that this happened, but if you're, if you're running a prison and you have this situation with him, I mean, what are you going to do? Take your chances that on the off chance that he might kill himself separated. Or are you going to deal with like the bad press of like you stuck him in general and someone killed him or beat him so bad that something or something else happened to him. Yeah. I mean, those are, those were all possibilities. And you also have to consider 
where he had a substance abuse problem, dropping him in general population probably wouldn't have been the best thing to do either. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the, and the, the thing out of this whole story that just breaks my heart is they found him and they took him to the hospital and they had him on life support until Jerry Lawler got there and could kiss his son goodbye. You know, my boy is real young, but the possibility of that ever happening in my life just rips something in half deep down in me. And just the fact that, you know, Lawler would have to do that is just, God, I can't imagine the feeling. Yeah, it's it's got to be the worst feeling in the world. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really that uh, when I was kind of looking over the obituaries or the things that were being said about each of the three gentlemen we're talking about tonight, um, his obviously the one for Brian Lawler was to me like the most depressing and tragic of it. Um, not just in part because he he was younger, but also and and there's certainly the element of where his his career he could have done a lot more because he was a he was a very good heel. Um, in the early 90s when he was with USWA, I guess you can ar- make the argument that he didn't live up to his potential uh, possibly, but it's just sad that just the circumstances of how he went out. I mean, it's just it's very tragic, and at the end of the day, it's just, you're keeping his body alive basically just long enough for his family to say good- their last respects and goodbyes, and that's just a horribly tragic story. I, it's, I think that those stories are always the worst because you always wonder like, you know, could, you know, what could have been done to like, you know, keep them off of that road. And I mean, I know at the end of the day, you can only do what you can do, but like those stories seem so preventable. Like if something had just, you know, gone differently in their life. Well, the from what I understand, Lawler had been trying to help him get clean, and then, you know, the idea of well, you know, he, he does need to realize it's rock bottom. The the thing with guys who have an addiction like that is they they won't change unless they realize how badly they need to. And so, I I'd have to guess Lawler as a dad is going, well, I know. You know, I've tried to help him in the past. He's not going to change until he wants to. And, you know, me not going and getting him out right now might help be that wake-up call he needs. He's probably beating himself up over it pretty bad. I, we, we had said um, earlier, because you had stepped away for a minute, we had said earlier we, yeah. we were glad that people are not trying to attack um, Jerry Lawler over that. Because, cause I, like, I think, like, if I was in Jerry Lawler's position, I probably would have made the same decision. It's it's hard to tell until you're in that situation. And I know there are some guys, some guys I've worked with who've been in a program like that, they'll say, "Look, I wasn't I wasn't ready to try and get clean until I didn't I didn't bother with it until I was actually ready to do it myself." So, And, you know, to see someone like Christopher who, who, look, 
it doesn't matter who you are in order to be able to get a recurring spot on a national show like that. You have to be talented. That's, that's the upper crust. That's the upper, what, two to 5% of wrestlers in the country. Um, and the fact that he got that, you know, really does say a lot about him. Um, you know, to lose somebody like that, God, that's, that's tough. Especially, you know, what was he? How old was he? I don't, I don't remember. He was, I would say he was like 46 or something. Yeah, he was 46. Hmm. I mean, you know, losing Christopher at 46 and Brown at, at 50, you know, at 55. God, both of the, you know, we've got these guys who've gone out so young and that's been, it's not as bad as the rash that we had in the late nineties with what happened with like Louis Piccoli and Bobby Duncan Jr. And people like that. But, you know, to have this happen, it's just, it's just heartbreaking. You know, I was, I was just thinking, um, along the lines of you said, we don't really have, we haven't had that same rash of like guys just dropping dead of heart attacks in there mid 40s the last i don't know eight ish years yeah yeah and and that's that's good but there's there's still going to be some yeah change that needs to happen it's just it's a tough life man like i don't i yeah you're always on the road you're you're beating your body up so you're in pain frequently yeah I have to live with, even now, you know, I did it for, what, eight years, and I didn't travel real far because I didn't want to. I enjoyed doing it. I like to think I was I was pretty good at it, but I didn't want to be, you know, driving up to New Hampshire and down to South Georgia and stuff every other weekend. You know, it, it partially we were trying to start a family and lots of other stuff. And even now, I still live with the consequences of my ring time now. You know, I can go down the left side of my body and point out injuries that happened because of it. Um, and that I still, you know, I have to live with. Uh, it's it's a hell of a ride. And it's, there's there's nothing in the world that I've experienced that's like it which may tie into why there's you see a lot of substance abuse issues is the pain and then also the way the experience is. But, you know, it's it's hard. And, you know, there are some days, like whenever my neck kicks in, that I'm the only thing that I can push through to do is, is help take care of my little boy in those times. That's That takes everything I've got. And then after that, I'm... I'm done. Stick a fork in me. It just sounds brutal. Like some of the, like just the, the amount of damage that they put themselves through. That's part of why I know in the perfect world, it won't happen, but in, in the perfect world, I wish they would cycle an off season for folks on the roster so that they could take some time off to heal up. Takes take like a mental health break or something. Yeah, it's but. tough, especially the way those WWE contracts work, though. Because I mean, that's a lot of money if you're not like working. Yeah, yeah, it is. 
I don't know what to say. Yeah. But well, guys, um, is there anything else we'd like to say about Mr. Brian Christopher? No, I, 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 I'm really bummed by that one. I'm bummed by all of them, but there's just something extra heart wrenching about the Christopher one. Just everything that went into it. Yeah. Just the whole circumstances. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, again, it's just, it's a horribly tragic story. Um, all the circumstances that led up to it, it's very unfortunate. Yeah. Well, with that, I think that about wraps us up. Um, this has been a special heartwarming edition of the Four Corners <laughs> podcast. Yeah, very light and... Uh, Yes. You know, the kind of Easy thing you listening. can you can listen to with your kids on the way to school or something like that and really start the day off right. <laughs> if you're if you're th- but, if you're thinking you're just too happy one day listen to this episode. And one other thing, given with what happened to Brian Christopher, this is this is another thing I want to put out there. If you're listening to this podcast and you feel like that mentally you're not in a good place. I want to encourage you to go get help. It's not something that you can pull yourself out of. It's not something you can just snap out of. Clinical depression means that your brain chemistry has been changed. Find find what you need to and get some help, okay? Because you are worth getting help. And to add to that, if you're thinking about harming yourself, it's not going to get better it is a compulsion at that point you need to get on you need to get on some medication to get yourself to stop i've known people like that and if they're not on their medication they start thinking about ways to kill themselves yeah it's 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 a dangerous road and depression's a tricky bitch she tries to isolate you and then make this stuff sound like it's your idea get it into the light and get some help and okay. don't think and, s- and don't think because you need to see a psychiatrist that there's anything wrong with you or that um you're weak or anything like that. It's a lot of people just, a lot of people go and a lot of people are helped by it. Yeah, I've been there. Okay. I had a I had a chemical imbalance that hit me. Just get some help, okay? And with that <laughs> we are going to end a very special episode <laughs> of the Four Corners Podcast on the Pit Podcast Network. I want to say thanks to Matt and Brad for being uh, joining me tonight. And um, we've been in three quarters here in the fourth. Thank you very much. And um, incidentally, we have a Facebook page now. It is facebook.com slash four corners. That is the number four corners, no space. Uh Uh, podcast so we'd love to hear from you guys and we'll see you next time